You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. When you find a fossil, particularly uh, an important one, the excitement and the deep, deep sense of satisfaction is, is probably unmatched almost in any other scientific inquiry. And to be the first to know it, and be the first to see it, the first to feel it, is a very privileged first. Paleoanthropologist Richard Leakey today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Where did contemporary human beings come from? Well, for generations, scientists, scholars, and experts have been trying to answer that question. One of the most prominent among them was Kenyan-born paleoanthropologist Richard Leakey. His parents, Lewis and Mary Leakey, were also prominent paleoanthropologists. In 1977, Richard Leakey co-authored what became a best-selling book called Origins. By 1992, he had made new discoveries, had new perspectives, and that's when he published a book called Origins Reconsidered, and that's when I met him. So here now, from 1992, Richard Leakey. How is this book, or how is the, the, the nature of this book different from Origins? Well, Origins, I wrote with Roger Lewin in 1976, and it was published in 1977, and it was written at a time when we did not have nearly as much data upon which to base certain uh, interpretations and conclusions. So this really is an up-to-the-minute account of how I would interpret the story of the human origin. That doesn't mean we should discard our copy of Origins, does it? Not at all, because it is a very different book. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have given it a slightly different title. It would have simply been Origins uh, with uh, a new edition, but this is a new book. The line, I think, that, that struck me the most was perhaps, I think, I think it was the very last line where you said, the future is now, it is here, this is it. Well, I think certainly the species has reached the stage with its development, with its culture, with the complications that arise from our technological activities, where we really have got to do things today if we're going to make the world uh, a place we can live on on any uh, long-term basis. I think it's been very tempting for previous generations to simply say, well, it's not our problem. This is something that will be dealt with tomorrow. I think the issues that face us are issues today, and I think that's why we say uh, the future is now, not tomorrow. Is it our nature as human beings to want to fill in all the gaps of our knowledge about where we have been as a species? Well, I think certainly through historical times, uh, there is evidence that all societies, regardless of where they're from, have been preoccupied with an attempt to understand who they are and where they're from. Uh, It's the very uh, foundations upon which mythologies and and religion have been built uh, for tens of thousands of years in probability. But certainly through the last 5,000 years, there's good evidence of that. So I think with the advent of science and with the likelihood that more and more people now expect scientific answers... This hunger is there, and it's very strong. And I think the fact that we almost certainly can tell people how they came into existence is something that is important. Can science reconcile, though, with with the distinctly unscientific gnawing in each of us to know some answer that, that a simple equation or a simple formula or a discovery somewhere in East Africa won't necessarily answer with cold, hard facts? We want to know something, I guess, on a more spiritual side, don't we? I think there's a lot of things that uh, the spiritual side is is going to continue to to to, pet, to fester, if you like, and and I don't think hard science can deal with that. But I think there is a very real chance 
that hard science can answer some of the questions that um, spiritualism has tended to previously. I mean, I, I think we can point to an evolutionary uh, course that led from one stage of early human to another to ourselves. We can begin to look at the, where our intellect uh, really stems from, and it's the expansion of the brain. We can look at the brain and begin to understand what parts of the brain do what things. I think we can begin to understand why certain societies have done certain things in certain parts of the world in response to environmental shift and change. So I think there is a lot of fact that can be put on the table now. I could certainly empathize with the woman who plaintively came to you and asked, "Is this? does this mean we're here by accident? It is very unsettling to think that we are. All of us would like to think there's some real purpose, uh, if not to our own lives, to the lives of, of humanity. I think the inescapable conclusion, however, is that if you do look at the record of life, there is no likelihood that there would have been humans on this planet had certain things not happened when they did. Those things were chance. The uh, weather patterns changed because of some volcanic eruption in a certain part of Africa, perhaps leading to a drying out of the environment and a loss of forest cover. New, uh, more open habitat emerged, was around for several million years, and different organisms um, adapted to that. If those events hadn't happened, uh, there is no inevitability uh, to ourselves. When your task as a paleoanthropologist is to go back and try to figure out then how those changes allowed us to uh, to evolve, allowed us allowed the human being as we know it today to come into being? Well, I spent the last 25 years of my life and, and some of it before that with my parents uh, really searching out evidence in East Africa of how we came to be human, collecting fossils, collecting archaeological traces, uh, putting together a fairly um, extensive record of the story as represented by physical remains. And obviously I've been pleased to participate in the interpretation of that data at a popular or public level, and that really is what the book is about. My own career has shifted uh, recently, and I'm now much more concerned with dealing with uh, today and tomorrow, looking after Kenya's national parks and wildlife, trying to stem the poaching and encourage tourism, and it really is very interesting to look at the management of natural habitats and ecosystems uh, against the needs of human society today and consider that uh, in the light of what I know about what has happened to habitats and ecosystems in the past. Are your days as a fossil hunter over? I think they probably are. My wife remains involved, but I don't think I will be giving much more of my life to collecting and, and, and interpreting fossils. I think it's a career that is that is closing down and, and another one is starting, which is not a bad thing. I try to imagine the feeling. It's not just like finding a rock somewhere. It's not like finding an unusual wildflower. When you're finding a fossil, it, you are finding a piece of us, a piece of our history. I think when you find a fossil, particularly uh, an important one, uh, the excitement and the deep sense of satisfaction is, is probably unmatched almost in any other scientific inquiry. The reason for it is that it is very closely identified with us uh, because we uh, are part of a very large community of, of the same species. There's going to be, if you like, tremendous excitement engendered all across the world when this discovery is known. And to be the first to know it and be the first to see it and the first to feel it is a very privileged first. Do you always know it 
at that moment, or do you? Are there times when you find something you say, "Well, this is interesting," and only later do you realize what it was you found? Well, in many cases, fossils are found in very fragmented condition, and it takes a little while to recover all the parts and put them back together again, so you really understand. But there are occasions when you find something that is sufficiently complete, or su- sufficiently uh, diagnostic in that it has some feature that you instantly recognize. Now, those sort of finds are, are really very, very thrilling. After this short break, one question that even science may never find the answer to. Now back to my 1992 interview with Richard Leakey. Are there kinds of questions that you could not answer regardless of how sophisticated science gets to be? Could we answer, for example, if Lucy given the proper training, could have filled out a a credit card application. In other words, did she have the kind of intelligence that we associate with human beings of the late 20th century? Well, I think what we are learning is that the development of intelligence came far later than simply the development of upright posture. Lucy, so-called Australopithecus species, um, almost certainly didn't have those fundamental human characteristics of, of being able to absorb uh, an education and, and cognitive skills that would enable uh, that individual to have filled in a credit card, as you put it. However, by one and a half million years ago, there does seem to have been an ancestor, Homo erectus, uh, that probably could have done it. Now, we will never know whether they could have done it, but we are beginning to see in the record evidence that extended childhood, the period in which the child is dependent on its parents and there's an opportunity for learning, the... Um, slow maturation rate, which is a uniquely human thing in the primate world. These characters were established back one and a half million years ago. So we're beginning to see a human biology as well as a human form in the record. There is also, though, a a fundamental religious question, no particular pun there intended. In in most religions, animals are not seen as having souls. Animals uh, belong to a separate category from man who has a soul. But if early man is more closely resembling an animal than what we, late 20th century man, at what point did we develop a soul? At what point did we learn right from wrong? At what point did we discover the existence of a god, a higher being? Well, I think the question of right from wrong and uh, morality, ethics, the uh, ability of the human mind to make value judgments that are obviously relevant to, to society, but each society is different from the other, is to a certain extent tied directly to the capacity of the human uh, brain to generate um, messages that are, in a sense, what we call self-awareness. We, we are aware of our own existence, uh, we are aware of our own mortality, Uh, We have the ability to see ourselves in abstract terms uh, and in terms of abstract events. This self-awareness is probably not present in anywhere near the same extent in any other creature. That is a product of a complex brain, and the complex brain has developed uh, very gradually. Now, when that first developed is not clear, but I think it was likely to have been there more than a million years ago. Now, whether that is a soul, uh, is a soul more complex than simply knowing of your own existence? And is that complexity real or is it cultural? Is it, is it, is it laid over it by society? Is it laid over it by what we're taught uh, in terms of, of, of uh, tradition, regardless of its origin? I think it's a very complicated issue. And my own sense is that 
speaking purely as as a as a individual person that if you're going to develop as a species an intelligent brain the brain is going to ultimately ask questions that are not critical for survival but they're nonetheless curiosity questions and if you don't have answers to those questions that are based in fact you sure enough will develop systems of answering those questions otherwise you're going to go crazy and i personally think that uh, mythologies and and belief in the supernatural uh, is a direct consequence of a large intelligent brain and whether or not one could really say uh, that that it's evidence of god or evidence of a complicated brain i'm not sure you do have a line in here which i may be paraphrasing poorly but you said the passion to find answers can be misleading well, it can be misleading, and I think it often is. There are some questions for which there may never be answers that we will find. But we will always ask the questions, won't we? That's our nature, isn't it? It is the nature of an intelligent mind to ask questions and demand answers. And uh, I think this is a very healthy process, but the personal experience that I've had is that why questions are much more difficult than how questions does it all matter? I mean, do, is, there, is there a great deal of point in looking ever more backward, or should we, as I think you're implying, if I'm not misunderstanding, you look more toward the future and to the now? I don't think understanding that we have a one-and-a-half million-year history and that we are originated from um, bipedal African apes four or five million years ago is going to solve the world's food shortages, and I don't think it's going to solve the problems of redistribution of wealth in a planet that is unequally developed. Nonetheless, a, an attitude of mind that enables people in the United States and people in Kenya and people in Europe to see the world's problems as problems of our species as opposed to national problems may be a better world. And I think there is uh, undoubtedly um, some benefit from a shared culture or shared cultural value. And a common origin is probably critical if we're going to accept a common destiny. And it's only when you accept that we have a common destiny that we will work towards global solutions. Do you think you were able to see things more clearly now with this book than you did 15 years ago? I think the, the book Origins Reconsidered has given me uh, an opportunity to review my own uh, conclusions about a lot of issues. I think the book is um, in areas uh, probably more philosophical than hard science uh, should be. But it is a perception that is based on experience within geology and archaeology and paleoanthropology. And I think it's a legitimate perception that I'm offering. Uh, whether it's really a matter of seeing more clearly or stating one's uh, perceptions more clearly is, of course, a, an open question. Richard Leakey died earlier this month. He was 77. And you can find easy Amazon links to Richard Leakey's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interviews with two other prominent scientists of our time, my 1990 conversation with Jane Goodall. When I was a child, I had two dreams. One was to study animals, work with them, learn about them, preferably in Africa. And the other was to write books about them. So how fortunate I've been that those dreams have come true. And my 2003 interview with the co-discoverer of the double helix DNA structure, James Watson. 
I didn't want to just be known for the double helix. You know, so before I made the discovery, no one thought I was going anywhere. And afterwards, I certainly went nowhere. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the journalist whose questions vexed 10 presidents over 50 years, my 1999 interview with veteran White House correspondent Helen Thomas. There I am, you know, really a thorn in their side. They know I'm going to try to ask the tough questions. I say, Mr. President, and I say, thank you. What more do they want? That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.